Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. 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 Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Hello. Well done. Thank you. You're welcome. That was incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, so first and foremost, we should tell people we're in a different place. We got stuck in the dead zone. It sounds weird here. Uh, so that's why it sounds weird. Um, but <laughs> it sounds weird, which is why it sounds weird. So get used to it, bucko. I mean, I cannot think of a better explanation <laughs> of why it sounds weird other than it sounds weird. Uh, but here we are. We're doing the thing. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm curious if it actually does sound weird or if it's just weird to us. Everything's weird to us. Because we are weird. Exactly. Bada bing, bada boom. And also, speaking of weird, this week's movie. This week's movie um, is very weird. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I think I should just go ahead and say up front... Uh, I, I think this movie had a serious identity crisis, and it, it didn't know if it wanted to be a dark horror comedy or a serious horror thriller. Uh, and because of that, as an audience member, you you weren't sure if some things were supposed to be funny or serious. So the serious scenes just ended up coming across as trying too hard and, and felt really out of place. It made what could have been a, a really fun horror film in, into one that's pretty much quickly forgotten after yeah. viewing. Yeah, I definitely got like um, like dark Lifetime uh, movie vibes. Yes, I mentioned Lifetime multiple times in my notes. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely <laughs> what I got. Like, and, and this is coming from somebody that loves Lifetime movies. Like, your girl can binge some Lifetime movies. I don't know why. Don't judge me. Keep your judgments to yourself. But there is, there is some times where I'm like, uh oh, this one, this one didn't do so great. I just got to turn it off now. I like how you get worried like a three year old. Uh oh, uh oh, help! Somebody turn this off. Help! Stranger danger! Stranger danger! And that's how I kind of felt with this movie. Like it teetered that line where I was like, I really just didn't know if we actually. I was like, maybe this was a different movie that I. Because what we do when we pick our movies is we pick our theme. And then we go through and find a bunch of movies. We watch the trailers. We read the summaries. And we kind of figure out, you know, A, if they're available for us to watch. And then B, if it's something that really matches the theme and everything. And this one felt like it really matched the theme. but as, And it did. I mean, it's a camp movie. Don't get me wrong. But as we were watching it, I was like, maybe this isn't, maybe this is more like a, like a school, after school <laughs> show. Well, they wanted it to be. Yeah. I, I think. Yeah. I, I just think they weren't sure what they wanted it to be. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, I think they wanted it to be this serious thriller with, uh, you know, we all learn a lesson and throw a little bit of humor, but it just came across as weird. It, 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 and not in like the good, bad kind of way. You know, how horror movies we embrace and love when they're terrible because mm-hmm. uh, they're just good fun. Yeah. This just really didn't even fill that box. <laughs> it's just like, huh. 
That's all well, I can say. That okay. is my synopsis is, huh. But we are still going to have one hell of a time <laughs> tearing this thing apart. I'm very excited. I am super excited. Well, before we get to all that, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us because, yeah, the theater moves around a lot, it's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And this month, in honor of Halloween, the most wonderful time of the year, we are in the middle of a series we like to call Slash Away Camp, where we look at some of the most iconic 80s summer slashers that served us all the campfire fun, complete with a healthy side of teen hormones and plenty of murdery mayhem. And this week, we are looking at the Friday the 13th knockoff cheerleader camp. Very exciting stuff. Much excite. (laughs) So, as always, if you guys want to check out the movie, before we discuss it here, we were only able to find this one on YouTube. Um, And it's free to watch. There was no ads during it. You just search cheerleader camp, and there's a full-length movie up there. I, I don't know if it's, like, just free domain at this point or what the case is but it's out there on youtube we couldn't find it to stream anywhere um so i will link it down in our show notes if you guys want to check it out it's pretty it's pretty tame i feel like uh super tame yeah the the gore in this one is uh almost non-existent I, i mean there's gore yeah but it's mostly it's just fake blood yeah yeah so as long as you can accept the fact it's just fake blood you'll be fine yeah yeah so it's totally up to you guys if you want to watch it beforehand now's your time because otherwise we're about to get into it and spoil every single pom-pom string available (laughs) we are gonna break the whole entire thing down and of course before we get into it we do need to give a bit of a trigger warning there is a scene that depicts suicide that we'll be talking about so if that's something that you're not interested in listening to maybe this is one you skip definitely all right well are you ready to get to the wiki i am very ready okay well here we go Well, Cheerleader Camp, originally titled Bloody Pom Poms, is a 1988 American slasher film produced and directed by John Quinn in his directorial debut, although he really didn't do anything after this worth mentioning. The film stars Betsy Russell, Leif Garrett, Lucinda Dickey, and Lori Griffin. Filming took place over 24 days in October of 1987, primarily at Camp Nelson in the Sequoia National Forest in California, as well as Bakerfield High School in Bakersfield, California. The film was loosely based on the real-life murder of Kirsten Costas in 1984, and by loosely, I mean hardly not at all. (laughs) Basically, Kirsten Costas was a member of the varsity swim team and a cheerleader at Miramont High School in Orinda, California. On June 23, 1984, Kirsten was lured to a fake party by fellow classmate Bernadette Prodi. Once Kirsten discovered there was no party, the girls argued and Kirsten fled to the nearby home of Alex and Mary Jane Arnold. Alex drove Kirsten home and noted a Pinto, the Prati's family car, was following them. 
Once Alex dropped Kirsten at home, before he left, he saw Bernadette Prati attack Kirsten. However, he thought he was just seeing a fist fight when, in fact, Prati stabbed Kirsten five times with a butcher knife Holy and shit. fled. Kirsten would succumb to her injuries and died later at a nearby hospital. Despite having a witness, for some reason, it took six months to find and identify Kirsten's killer. Prati claimed it wasn't premeditated, and she just happened to find the 18-inch long knife in the family car, and her older sister, Virginia, testified in court that she kept the knife in the car for cutting vegetables. You know, like we all do. When you get your your car cravings, your car veggie cravings. And you just need some cukes. <laughs> Don't mess with me and my car cukes. <laughs> Pull up to the stoplight, choppy choppy. That's a very convenient story. It's crazy. I guess I just don't understand the narrative that like that it was not premeditated. That just doesn't make any sense it, to me. It doesn't. That's not hanging out in the family pinto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, needless to say, Prati was sentenced to a maximum of nine years, but was released seven years later in 1992 at the age of 23. Kirsten's parents vehemently opposed Prati's release. So again really loosely based like the only thing that really links the two stories is the fact that kirsten costas was a cheerleader yeah i was about to say i don't uh that story is not here at all (laughs) (laughs) it's it's nowhere in this movie in fact we barely have cheerleading in this movie Mm -hmm. well according to a review in variety the film only played theatrically for about a week in early 1988 under its original title bloody pom-poms before getting pulled and released on video under the cheerleader camp title anchor bay would then release the film on dvd in august of 2004 On Rotten Tomatoes, the film holds a whopping 0%. Now, in all fairness, only two critics have left a review, and they were both... I was going to say two people have seen it. (laughs) Two people. Actually, yep, we are it. (laughs) And we are the 0%. (laughs) But those two people did leave a negative review. Uh, So you can't really judge by that score. However, the audience score for this one is only at 22%. And it has over 2,500 reviews. So. Yeah. Not not a fan fave. Yeah. Eh, that's all right. Well, a sequel was planned by the filmmakers, but that project was eventually made into an unrelated film called Camp Fear, which was released in 1991, which also starred Betsy Russell, our lead here. But that project was produced and financed by another production team. So a sequel for this movie was finally released in 2014 called Cheerleader Camp to the Death. Oh, very dramatic. I feel like we should probably pause here and go see it. Oh, you think? I think so. All right. With that title, I need <laughs> to, to see what's going to happen. I mean, didn't we go to the death in the first one? Yeah. Is I want to see what the real the real death. This is more death. <laughs> even deader. <laughs> well, real quick before we jump into things, I have a quick synopsis. It says, a cheerleader, her boyfriend, colleagues, and a team mascot attend a competition spoiled by murder. There you go. In a nutshell. It was murder. Much murder. But not as much death as second movie death. Only fake death, fake murder. <laughs> Watch sequel for more death. This and more is real hardly death. barely death. <laughs> <laughs> One step beyond faking it, really. <laughs> 
All right. Well, let's get to it, shall we? I'm so ready. (laughs) So just a heads up. Very quickly in this film, we are introduced to every single character. They just throw them all out there at once. Don't expect some character development. So the first part of our little breakdown is just introducing people. So we're going to have to get through that first, but we'll do it together. (laughs) You and me, we got this. We got this. All right. Well, we start off with a pretty standard opening credit sequence backed by a heavy synth dramatic score and some crowd applause sounds. After all, this is a movie about cheerleaders, so there should be some cheering sounds. The screen then transitions to all red and then right into a dream sequence. Yep, why waste time with all that boring character and plot setup? Let's jump right into a nonsensical dream sequence. Because any good storyteller knows you always want to make sure to start off with no one understanding what the fuck is going on. Confusion is key. (laughs) I remember when this started, I was like, did we jump in the middle? (laughs) What is happening? I know. Who are these people? I kind of did too because we we watched it on YouTube. So I actually was like, uh-oh. <laughs> did we get like a bad copy? Because you never really know what you're going to get on YouTube when you watch right. movies. If it's not a actual YouTube uploaded movie. Right. So yeah, I was like, did we come in at a weird spot? Because sometimes they'll, they'll edit movies weird on there. And uh, nope, it... Again, confusion is key, and they landed it. They they really did. They did. Well, we see a girl running through a high school locker room, checking different lockers, all while we hear someone over a loudspeaker reminding them that we're waiting. We're waiting. Keep saying it. <laughs> we're waiting. Yes, we're waiting for this movie to start. <laughs> the girl then finds a locker with the cheer outfit she's been looking for, so she changes into it. She then runs outside onto the field, and the announcer says... Finally, she then trips in a big puddle of mud and the crowd starts to boo her. The announcer says, we've been waiting for what? For this? The girl tries to do a cheer but can't remember how it goes. An unseen crowd continues to boo. The girl looks out and sees her mother and father who are both disappointed in her poor performance. The girl is all, hello, anybody? I need love. (laughs) Sister, we all do. (laughs) But just standing there proclaiming it loudly to everyone probably isn't going to get you the desired results you're looking for. (laughs) That just will go wrong. Well, she then tries to cheer again, but the pom-poms keep slashing her arms. Then a bunch of pom-poms close in around her as she screams and wakes herself up to a real pom-pom in her face and some dude filming her on his very 80s camcorder. So our dreamer here is Allison Wentworth, and she is on a car ride with her teammates up to Camp Hurrah for whatever it is people do at cheerleading camp. I would imagine it's working on your cheering skills, but we don't see a whole lot of that in this movie, so that's just an assumption. (laughs) Uh, FYI, the film's opening scene, that dream sequence, was actually the last scene of the film to be shot. It was filmed at Bakersfield High School in Bakersfield, California, like I mentioned in the wiki. In fact, many of the extras in this movie were actual cheerleaders from Bakersfield High School. So Allison here is played by actress Betsy Russell, who has some pretty impressive creepy credits. She starred in Camp Fear, the movie I mentioned in the wiki, the one that originally started out to be the sequel for this movie, uh, but then became something else. She then goes on to play Jill Tuck 
in the Saw series. She appeared in Saw 3, 4, 5, 6, and Saw 3D, the final chapter. She also had one other creepy credit sprinkled in around the time of all those Saw movies, and that was a film called Chain Letter. So another teammate in the car includes Allison's boyfriend, Brent, who is played by 70s teen idol and subject of my favorite episode of VH1 Behind the Music, Leaf Garrett. Do you remember VH1 Behind the Music? Was oh, yeah. That, that a thing? Yes. Growing up for you? Yeah. It was like a YouTube T channel before there were YouTube T channels yeah it's yeah. where you got all the good shit mm-hmm. i loved that show and this episode oh my god so for those of you who aren't six days older than dirt like me uh leaf garrett is kind of like one of the original washed up has-beens of hollywood you know he's a product created by an industry that used him and bled him for every ounce that they could get out of him and when he wasn't making the money anymore they dropped his ass and said good luck sir Uh, So basically, he started his career as a child star at like, I think the age of five. He had some moderate success as a teen idol, was hooked on drugs by 14, and destroyed what was left of his already waning career when five days before his 18th birthday, he crashed a Porsche 914 that was being leased to his mother after a party while driving to buy more cocaine. His blood alcohol level was three times over today's legal limit, plus he was high on quaaludes. But to make matters worse, Leaf wasn't the only one in the car. The accident left his passenger and friend, Roland Winkler, a paraplegic. Winkler ends up suing both Leaf and his insurers for six million and wins. But the real drama came in 1999 when the two were reunited for the first time in 20 years for an episode of VH1 Behind the Music. It was epic television at the time, and they promoted the shit out of it. Everyone tuned in to find out what was going to happen, because, of course, everyone anticipated Winkler would bitch him out and tell him how he fucked up his life and was, you know, it was going to be this big dramatic thing, but it was totally fine. Mm-hmm. Winkler comes out, says he has no bad feelings toward Leaf, and in fact said that Garrett's actions following the accident had actually saved his life. The two even remained friends and in contact until Winkler's death in 2017. Unfortunately for Leaf, drugs would continue to be a problem, and he would have several narcotic-related arrests. In the early 2000s, he made the rounds in the reality TV circuit, including Fear Factor, True TV's World's Dumbest, and Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew. And the last I could find was that he wrote an autobiography titled Idle Truth in 2019, where apparently we find out he didn't even sing all of his own songs. Like, the studios... were so unhappy with his voice because he was an actor and already yeah. had this fame. You know, these mm-hmm. these little girls were fawning all over him in, in Tiger Beat and <laughs> cutting out his pictures and stuff. So they wanted to turn him into this little teen idol. Yeah. But he couldn't sing that well. Mm-hmm. And he could sing a little bit, but on some of the songs, he just wasn't cutting out. So they brought in someone else to sing for him. And in fact, they would even have this kid backstage when Leaf would perform live singing so i would be so upset if i was a singer 
Oh, yeah. If I was the singer or the fan, you remember the whole Millie Vanilli thing. I mean, people were pissed that they were yeah. lip syncing. It wasn't even them. So, you know, it's just he was this product of Hollywood. He yeah. was born into it. And it's just, you know, he became a commodity. Yeah. And it just it, it ruined the poor kid's life. And I, I kind of felt bad for him. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I want to say that I saw the um, Dr. Drew uh special mm-hmm. and yeah i kind of uh came away with the same conclusion that it just it felt nothing but but f- bad for him because ex- you explained it perfectly it's he just literally is a product of hollywood mm-hmm. and and that sucks that you know he wasn't able to live his life to the fullest all because basically hollywood made him peak at such a young age and that sucks yeah that sucks for anybody in that in that industry that that experiences that yeah absolutely and of course you know i'm sure they had everything to do with him you know getting hooked on drugs or at least didn't do anything to stop it it's just you know make the talent happy keep them under your thumb and under control and that's all that mattered to them and it's unfortunate you know i think he's like 26 27 at the time that they filmed this of course he's supposed to be a high school kid doesn't yeah (laughs) none of them look like high school kids uh but he he looks like a 40 year old man already has a receding hairline Mm -hmm. you know drugs had taken its toll but i I didn't have a problem with anyone in this film in particular no i I think the casting was fine yeah absolutely oh yeah he also has some other creepy credits including a movie called devil times five which also starred his sister don lynn Uh, A movie to die for, The Banker, Night Angel, and The Whispering. Haven't heard of a single one. I feel like I've heard of one of them. The second one you named, I think, but... To die for? Yeah? Question mark? It kind of sounds like it would be a uh, James Bond movie. Yeah. Which, in that case, I probably haven't seen it, but... Oh, I can guarantee you it's not a James (laughs) Bond movie. (laughs) Can you imagine... Luke Kara is James Bond. That would be amazing. I would no, actually go see that. I cannot imagine it. And it makes me sad. Because you want it? No. Oh. <laughs> Don't be messing with my James Bond. I thought you were saying you are like sad because it's like, I'll never have it. <laughs> oh, what could have been. <laughs> Well, back to our team lineup. The team's cameraman all up in Allison's face is Timmy. He is also an actual cheerer. We do see him participate in routines in the very brief moments when we see them actually cheer. But he's the bigger person of the group. And in the 80s, Hollywood mostly thought heavyset people were only good for comic relief. So it's immediately obvious he's here just to fill that role. And he's mostly just the guy filming everything. However, I thought Travis McKenna, the actor playing Timmy, did a fine job. Yeah. He he was charming and likable for the most part. In fact, again, I didn't have too much of a problem with any of the performances in this film. I mean, none of them were going to walk away with any awards, but they weren't terrible. I just think there wasn't a lot for them to work with, with the source material. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I feel the same way because I even, you know, we watched the movies a couple of times and I even found myself like the second watch through trying to be a little bit more analytical of them thinking like okay I'm I'm really not 
drawn to this movie like I have been the other camp movies thus far or other movies thus far that we've done. And so is it because the movie material isn't great? What, you know, what is it? I always try to figure out what's just not working for me specifically. And yeah, it had nothing to do with the casting. I really, I feel like similar to Sleepaway Camp, it felt like they were all pretty friendly, like personable and stuff like that. Like it didn't, it came off very campy in the fact that like realistically these people would be friends Mm -hmm. and uh it didn't feel like it was reaching the conversations that they would have and stuff like that but yeah when you're dealt confusing source material i mean you can only do so much with it yeah there's there's only so far that they can take it and they never take the time to develop any of these characters so we just don't care about them really exactly uh Timmy's character here is kind of the only one because we get his humor at least we can see a little bit of who he is Mm -hmm. so I kind of felt like he was the one I latched onto the most yeah well Travis McKenna does have some other creepy credits including twice dead Skeeter yes that's about a deadly swarm of huge bloodthirsty mutant mosquitoes and amazing (laughs) and the 2000 biographical crime drama Ed Gein Oh, nice. So our team's mascot, which happens to be an alligator, is Corey, played by 80s icon Lucinda Dickey. What's that you say? You've never heard of Lucinda Dickey before? Well, what if I said Special K? No, not the drug. Don't do drugs, kids. Stay in school. (laughs) No, Lucinda played Kelly, or Special K, in the 80s classics Breakin' and Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo. To this day, if a movie sequel has the number two in it, I have to say Electric Boogaloo after it. (laughs) T2, Electric Boogaloo. (laughs) The Conjuring 2, Electric Boogaloo. (laughs) Scream 2, Electric Boogaloo. You get it. You get it. It just, it's, it's a compulsion. I can't stop it. Thanks a lot, Electric Boogaloo. (laughs) Turn off the lights. Come on. So, yeah, Lucinda is a professional dancer. We'll talk more about that later. Plus, she also wrote the lyrics for this movie's theme song called Cheerleading. Okay. That's all I can tell you. I like it. Well, rounding out the rest of the team, we've got fellow cheers Bonnie, Pam, and Teresa. Bonnie is played by actress Lori Griffin, who has creepy credits in a movie called Sandman, and also the 80s classic Teen Wolf with a very baby Michael J. Fox. Then we have Pam, who is played by actress Terry Weigel, who has a few creepy credits, including Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, my gosh. Night Visitor, The Banker, alongside castmate Leaf Garrett, Predator 2, Innocent Blood, and Auntie Lee's Meat Pies. I need to see both the first and the last of that list (laughs) pretty soon. Yeah. Now, I have seen... Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, but I have never seen the sequel, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. I feel like we're going to need to do a month of like, uh, like foods or something. Something. Oh yeah, and Auntie Lee's meat pies is going in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it needs to happen because there's so many of these quirky killer food movies that, (laughs) for whatever reason, I haven't seen, and I'm sad about it. It's a whole horror genre we have not tapped into yet, and I feel like your girl needs to do some tapping. Well, finally, there's Teresa, played by actress Rebecca Ferrati, uh, and she has one other creepy credit in a film called Embrace the Vampire, 
but she's also credited as being an Ace Ventura pet detective. And I know that's not a creepy credit, but her character is credited as just sexy woman. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure she's the one at the beginning when he returns her dog and she repays him with a blowjob. And he's all, wow, people are really friendly around here. (laughs) I'm 99% positive that's her. And I only bring it up because Danny and I were just talking about that exact scene the other day. (laughs) All right. So that's it for the next two minutes. (laughs) We have more characters coming, believe it or not. But that is just our main team. That is a lot right at once. All in a van. Yeah. And we'd we'd learn nothing about them. Yep. The only reason I even know their names is because I looked them up on IMDb. Yeah. And there's like a little roll call situation that happens. Yes. Well, it turns out Allison has been having these bad dreams due to the stress of competition. Brett chimes in that they're all stressed about the competition, but if they win this weekend, they'll go on to compete at state. Fingers crossed. Not sure how that's supposed to quell anyone's nerves, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, The team finally arrives and surveys their competition, and we see a bunch of white people doing something that's basically one step above simple calisthenics. Be assured this movie does not depict the cutthroat gymnastics and dance-heavy cheer competitions of today. This is basically hokey pokey with more (laughs) clapping. (laughs) There's not a pyramid, a harky, or a basket toss to be seen. Uh, This is the cheerleading I can do. (laughs) That's what it is, exactly. And just in case you've forgotten that Timmy is the comic relief, as the team pulls up to the camp, he has to stick his large gluteus maximus out the window and moon everyone. Classic Timmy, am I right? Oh, Timmy, you and your butt antics. (laughs) Butt antics. Well, we next see Miss Tipton, the camp's director. She obviously isn't impressed with Timmy's antics or the fact that our team is late. She comes down to the van to check them in and stands right next to Timmy's ass hanging out of the window, since he apparently has gotten his stuck. This gives us the opportunity for a nice fart joke as Miss Tipton smacks his ass with a clipboard. Uh, so Miss Tipton is snobbish and standoffish to our group. Allison accidentally calls her Tip Tits, and Miss <laughs> Tipton informs them that they can kiss up if they want to, even though it won't do them any good. But she's the kind of person that deserves to be treated that way. Can you imagine if someone had the gall to say that to your face seriously? I, I would just walk away. Like, you can kiss up to me if you want, because I do deserve to be treated that way. I'd be like, you really are the Tip Tits. Now get I, out of here. <laughs> I would punch them in the face. <laughs> I, I would just have to go to jail or pay a fine or whatever. I would accept it. I'd be like, smack, take me away. Somebody it was up totally like, worth it. That's $20, ma'am. <laughs> All right. Here's an extra 20 because I'm probably going to do it again later. Here's a 40 because I ain't done with that bitch. <laughs> just going to put a punch in on credit. Uh, also, Miss Tipton forgets to check in Corey, the team's mascot. So Corey has to remind her that she's a part of the team, too. And Miss Tipton's like, yeah, whatever. So Miss Tipton is played by Vicki Benson, who does have a couple of other creepy credits, including The Wraith, 
1986 film starring Charlie Sheen and Randy Quaid. Not sure how that one slipped past me, but I've never heard of it. Me neither. And a film called Fertilize the Blaspheming Bombshell. Oh, wow. Which, judging by the poster art, it was made in 1956, but apparently it was made in 1992. So there's that. I don't even know how to classify this movie or what is going on. Well, the title doesn't help. It does not. Uh, also, Vicky regularly brought her dog to set, and as a result, he appeared in the film, so the dog you see her with is actually her dog. Well, Brent and Timmy separate from the group and immediately go to flirt with other women. Keep in mind, though, Brent is Allison's boyfriend, so this is being done right in front of her and the rest of the cheer squad. Teresa tells Allison the girl Brent is flirting with looks like the girl to beat if you want to be Camp Queen. And Pam tells her she looks like the one you want to beat up if you want to keep your boyfriend. Wow. Well, the girls all head off, leaving Allison standing alone by the van. Allison and the audience are startled by Pop, the old camp handyman slash gardener, coming up to introduce himself to Allison. He's going to do that a lot. That's his favorite thing to do is just fucking Pop right on screen. Yeah. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's why they named him Pop, because he just boop. Appears on screen and scares the shit out of you. I wish uh, they would have named him like Peekaboo or something. <laughs> Just call him Jump Scare. He tells her she's looking a little peaked, so he'll go ahead and carry her bags for her. He then gives her the once-over ogle and walks off, leaving Allison and us skeeved out. So Pops here is played by the late character actor George Buckflower. He actually got his start in softcore porn, believe it or not, oh. with such roles as Mannheim Jarkoff and Boris Clitoris. <laughs> <laughs> but he would go on to build quite a mainstream film resume, along with quite a few creepy credits, including 36 feature horror films, which puts him in second place behind Felissa Rose as our creepy credit reigning champion. I'm not naming all 36, but here are the highlights. So he was in Ilsa She-Wolf of the SS, which is an exploitation classic. Drive-In Massacre, another slasher classic. What's a (laughs) drive-in? He was in The Fog, another 80s classic. Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. Oh, my gosh. Not a classic, but should be. (laughs) (laughs) He was also in Maniac Cop, Pumpkinhead, Skeeter with fellow co-star Travis McKenna, Village of the Dam, John Carpenter's They Live, and Wes Craven's Wishmaster. Wow. All horror classics in their own right. Except maybe that Skeeter thing. I haven't seen that one. (laughs) (laughs) But that is impressive very impressive now most of those are just little tiny parts but this boy stayed working you got to respect that i'm giving all the credit well we next cut over to brent and timmy flirting with their respective ladies we meet the camp cook who apparently doesn't speak and coughs up a lot of phlegm while we're preparing food we also see brent get turned down by the potential camp queen so that's nice, I guess. Uh, in one of the girls' cabin, being shared by Bonnie, Pam, and Teresa, Pam tells the girls that she plans to win the title of queen, even though the other girls think that Allison is definitely the one to beat. But Pam thinks she'll be too preoccupied with Brent and those nightmares she's been having. Cut to Allison in her cabin, unpacking, and we see she's taking some prescription medication, but hides it when Corey comes in the room. 
Corey asks if it's okay if she bunks with her. After all, she's just the mascot. Allison says, you make it sound like it's a disease, to which Corey says, yeah, I'm sure that's what everyone wants, to go through life as an alligator. What? Did they make you wear the costume since birth? What do you mean, go through life? Do you have to mascot 24-7? Is that a rule? It's part of the mascot club. Oh, goodness, that's a commitment. Part of the rules, all day, er day. <laughs> Well, we then get this little bonding moment between the girls. Corey gushes about how Allison's life must be perfect, but Allison assures her it's far from it. We next cut over to Brent and Timmy's cabin. Brent's cranky that the queen contender wasn't into him, and Timmy's ready to get back out and start filming some of the ladies for research purposes, of course. Well, next down at the quarry... Rock Beach? I don't know. All the girls are just sunbathing on some big boulders. Uh, They again start talking about the pretty blonde girl named Susie, that's the one to beat for Queen, who also happens to be sunbathing on some other big boulders. Pam doesn't think she's all that, so they decide to have a boob off. At least that's the best way I can describe it. (laughs) I don't know what's happening. Susie sits up from sunbathing on her stomach and shows off her boobs, to which Pam must now take off her bra and show off her boobs. Then both girls put their tops back on. I'm not sure if a winner was declared. Also, no one really voted. I I don't know (laughs) the rules or what was happening. We weren't polled. I don't understand what the survey was. I'm sure this was just a ploy for some TNA. Uh, Of course, while all this has been going on, there have been two people spying on the ladies and their nakedness. Timmy, of course, has taken to a little cross-dressing to fool the ladies, and he's just another lady out doing some sightseeing. Oh, have you seen that red-breasted thrush? (laughs) Uh, But they see through his little disguise and rip his clothes off, taking his camera and filming the whole thing. He then jumps in the river to escape, But we also see the fucking sheriff has been watching them. Gross. But he gets caught by Pop, the handyman. Sheriff Poucher says he's doing this in the line of duty. But Pop says, line of duty, my ass. Line of dirty's more like it. That's actually a really good line. (laughs) I enjoyed it. (laughs) So the sheriff here is played by Jeff Prettyman, who also happens to be one of the film's producers. Plus, he has some seriously blue eyes, like Jeff Fahey blue, if anyone besides me knows who actor Jeff Fahey is. (laughs) Well, we next switch back to the main camp and get about 12 seconds of people actually doing something resembling cheering. Nothing too crazy. There are a few people lifted in the air, but only slightly, and there's no type of dismount or jumping. You can tell the filmmakers were like, look, we don't have the insurance coverage in our budget if one of you gets hurt so nothing crazy okay <laughs> jamie you're clapping a little too hard and if you sprain that wrist we cannot help you <laughs> seriously we will just wrap it up in discarded newspaper and send you home <laughs> you will not be allowed to return for the rap party <laughs> calm down well next the screen then transitions to red again which last time indicated we were entering allison's dream So we do cut over to Allison, but she looks like she's just waking up from a nap. So this time it's not a dream, I guess. You know, why have consistency? (laughs) Uh, So Allison, after 
thinking back to Brent flirting with Susie, gets up and decides to walk to Susie's cabin. Dressed in a bright red bathing suit cover-up, by the way, that just screams, we want you to think Allison's the killer. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, She goes in the cabin only to discover Susie appears to have killed herself by cutting her wrists. It's the first of the few and far between boring, uninspired kills. Nothing new is brought to the table here, nor is any effect presented in a new and interesting way. Here they've just slapped some fake blood on her wrists and mouth, although I don't know why someone with an injury to her wrists would be bleeding out of her mouth. But hey, if she was really a victim of our murderer, then maybe there are some internal injuries we don't know about? I don't know. It, it's never actually even confirmed that no. she's a murder victim. It's just a dead girl. <laughs> It's just our our mystery, our our unanswered question that we leave the film just thinking about. Well, we next get a quick little jump scare again as Pops the Handyman turns up and says, What's the matter, youngin? (laughs) Scaring Allison and causing her to run out of the cabin. You, you're what's the matter. Stop popping around here. (sighs) He sure does have a way of just showing up. He makes a great red herring, though. Yes. We then see half the camp has shown up to stare at the poor dead girl. Even Timmy is capturing the whole fucking thing on video. Jesus. Miss Tipton sends all the campers away, leaving her, Pop, and the non-speaking cook in the cabin. Miss Tipton then gets onto Pop and tells him to hurry up, to which he says, Get off my back. I'm taking care of it. (laughs) (laughs) We then see him looking at Susie's necklace which has one of those cheer megaphones on it with the letter S charm. This, of course, will be important later. We next switch to later that night, and Miss Tipton has gathered all the campers to address Susie's death. She says that even though Susie had everything to live for, personal demons terrorized her soul. We then see a shot of Susie's body being moved, covered in plastic sheeting. We also see one of her arms pops out, and we get another shot of the wound on one of her wrists, which is just more fake blood and something sticking out of her arm, maybe? I'm not sure. It's like, is the bone protruding? What is happening here? I don't know. It it looked aggressive. (laughs) We then cut back to Miss Tipton as she tells the campers not to let this little incident with Susie dampen their spirits. And they should all sleep tight. Forget about that. Have a good night. (laughs) Everything's fine. Well, back in the main girl's cabin, Bonnie, Pam, and Teresa are speculating about Susie's death and whether or not it was really a suicide. They think something is fishy and suspect it could either be Miss Tipton or the non-speaking cook or Pop. All of them are fishy. Every damn one of them. We next cut to the boys' cabin, and Timmy is watching some of the footage he captured earlier. Brent said he can't watch because Susie's in the footage, and it's too upsetting. Yeah, remember that girl he flirted with for two seconds that turned him down? He's just all shook up over it. He wonders why she killed herself, and if it was something he said. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) What a fucking (laughs) self-inflated ego. (laughs) Jesus. Well, Timmy tells him to cheer up and look at the bright side. They're looking at naked chicks. Of course, one of them happens to be dead, Timmy, so why don't we have a bit of goddamn decorum? (laughs) Well, next we are back in Allison and Corey's cabin, 
And here we have one of those scenes that takes a much darker and more serious tone. Kind of. It, it, it just feels weird. So Allison is talking about how she can identify with Susie. Not that she would ever actually go through with it, but sometimes in her mind she thinks about it. But Corey wonders how that could be. Allison is pretty and popular and has the perfect boyfriend, meaning the one that couldn't get out of his car fast enough to flirt with another girl. And she's one of the best cheerleaders in the state, which we just have to take Corey's word for since no one actually cheers in this movie. But Allison tells Corey that those things aren't always what they're cracked up to be. There's a lot of pressure being always on and having to keep up the constant perception of perfection. She just wants to be herself, whatever that is. It's a great message, and I'm all for it. There's a lot of people who feel the pressure to live up to other people's expectations of them, and it can be exhausting. But this whole interaction just seemed really out of place. It's like we took a break from our silly little horror movie for an ABC after school special. Yeah. And I'm not saying you can't have a film with silly, funny moments and emotional, serious ones. But you need me to care about your damn characters for these serious scenes to be effective. And quite frankly, I just don't. Yeah, it's a little tough whenever we just haven't connected to anybody. And so... Kind of like what you said earlier, we're just taking literally everything that they say at face value. So when they're met with like, you know, trials and tribulations and tough emotions, it's like, we don't know what's going on in your life to spur these. So it's like, it's tough. All we see is that you're at cheerleading camp and upset. Like, what's your home life like? You know, why is school tough? Like, are you only good at cheerleading, but your grades suck? You know (laughs) what? We don't know. Yeah. We don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know she's on medication, but is this like a long-term thing? It's yeah. just, there's so much surface stuff here that it's just like, I just, I don't care. I don't care about anybody. Your kills aren't fun. There's nothing in here that's getting me excited to watch your movie. Give me blue balls. <laughs> well, Corey tells Allison she's here now, so she might as well try and enjoy herself. And if it gets too hard, just try harder. Don't you just love it when neurotypical people tell neurodivergent people to just try harder? Just just do better. Obviously, you're not happy because you aren't trying hard enough to be happy. Oh, you're sad? Don't be. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> just stop. Well, Allison falls for it and is all, just try harder. Hmm. Makes sense. Thanks, Corey. That, that really checks out. <laughs> Thank you so much. But then Corey seems to get a little cautious and is like, Brent was with Susie today, and you seem a little jealous. And Allison's all like, yeah, what about it? And Corey says, oh, nothing. I just didn't want you to feel bad about what happened today. What a horrible thing to say to someone. I mean, if she didn't feel bad about it before, she does now. (laughs) I don't want to put anything on your plate, but if you're feeling guilty at all about the fact that a girl that was flirting with your boyfriend was, I don't know, maybe murdered. (laughs) uh, I don't know. I don't want you to feel guilty about it or anything. Also, remember earlier whenever you were sad? Still don't do it. Just try harder. Yep. Try harder to be happy. Good advice. Well, Corey leaves the bathroom and Allison stays behind to wash her face. But when she straightens up and sees her reflection in the mirror, she hallucinates that her face is all sliced up. Again, the effect is pretty lame and it just looks like they slapped some more fake blood across her face. Well, Allison seems to understand it's a hallucination and begins pleading out loud to no one to make it stop. I mean, that's that's some serious shit. Mm-hmm. If you are hallucinating... <laughs> 
horrible injuries on your own face. Yeah. I mean, this girl has some serious problems. Mm-hmm. Well, we then get a very abrupt cut to the next day, and Brent and Timmy are performing the whitest rap you have ever heard. It is, it's painful to watch, almost. And everybody knows that nothing goes hand in hand more than cheerleading and rap. Oh, yes. And, I'm, I mean, I remember. And not just the music. <laughs> like, the cheerleaders also must rap while cheerleading. It's... It's very important. Simultaneously or get out. I remember all the raps we had to learn before football games <laughs> when I was in high school <laughs> just to cheer my team on properly. <laughs> well, I guess this is one of their routines they're practicing. And we do actually get a single tumble move here. But again, it's mostly just a round of Miss Mary Mac with some pom-poms. Uh, but that pom-pom shaking must be pretty spectacular because Pop the Handyman has been watching and gets so overcome by the performance, he inadvertently sprays himself with a garden hose and then can't remember how to stop spraying himself with a garden hose. He's a sucker for some white wrap. I mean, he just keeps spraying. And then, you know, he's putting his hands up yeah. like, oh, no, make it stop. How do I not <laughs> spray myself with the hose? <laughs> What is going on here? (laughs) Just this movie. Well, we then cut (laughs) to the camp's cafeteria where they're all having what looks like a furries convention. (laughs) Turns out these are just all the mascots trying to eat with their costumes on. I was hoping that it really was like a furries convention and a cheerleader camp. Like they just accidentally overbooked the two convention so they had to share a campground it would make the movie more interesting <laughs> at least something we could grasp onto <laughs> the furries versus cheerleaders <laughs> my money's on the fucking furries uh well i mean they have head to toe head covering and all so Corey, dressed as that alligator is trying to shove a sandwich in the nostril of the mask obviously these things are sealed and you can't put anything in them and they know that so it's just absurd that they're even trying. It just makes me so mad. It was like, no. This whole scene is very happen. goofy because there is this like weird vendetta bet- like between the rest of the camp and the mascots. Yes. And like, I don't know. I'm, I've never been a cheerleader, so I don't know. Maybe that is a thing. But it just, it feels very over the top. And the fact that, like, like this scene in particular really solidified it for me. Like, they have the whole line of mascots, like, separated from the cheerleaders. They have to eat at a separate table, mm-hmm. eat in their costumes. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, to, to the point that, you know, Corey gets frustrated, rips her mask off and says, damn it, I'll eat like a human. To which Miss Tipton says, you're a mascot, not a human. So get with the spirit and put the mask back on. So Corey shoves the mask into Miss Tipton's arms and says, you try it, and I'll be shocked if you've ever tried head. See, that's another good line. <laughs> if we just had more of that and less Lifetime movies, I could have gotten on board. But again, you're right. It, it, it's like they're going with that stereotype of, I, I guess the mascot is like, if you're not good enough to be a cheerleader, yeah. then you're just the mascot. Yeah. Which, I mean... In my high school, I don't even think the mascot was one of our students. I think it was two parents. Oh. We had two mascots. We're weird. I don't even... I think you just meant it. It was like a stranger. I was like, 
I don't I don't think that was your mascot. I think a stranger was just on your school campus <laughs> pretending to- people would just show up dressed as bulldogs. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> just trying to lure kids off the property. Come on home with the, with the mascot. You know what they say, home of the bulldogs or whatever. All right, come on. We are obviously the tigers. Okay, at least get the mascot right. <laughs> Also, according to IMDb's trivia page about this movie, supposedly Leif Garrett played one of the mascots during the scenes in which they're all in costume. However, they don't specify which one, so I can't help you. I was about to say, I want to know which one. Nope, I can just tell you he's not the alligator. (laughs) Next, we see Allison and Bonnie outside practicing their pom-pom shaking when Brent comes up. He notes that Allison is in a better mood and says... You know, I can't figure you out. One minute you're one way and the next you're another. The girls laugh and run off and Allison decides to stop by the kitchen where the non-speaking cook is chopping up a slaughtered animal. Allison goes to ask if he has any sodas and notices the cook is wearing Susie's necklace, the one with the megaphone and the letter S charm. The cook motions to the walk-in freezer. What the hell kind of camp would not just have beverages readily available for campers yeah or a canteen or vending machine you're, you're not just gonna have campers traipsing in and out of the damn kitchen yeah especially in the fridge <laughs> yeah it's ridiculous but i understand we've got to get allison into that freezer to move our plot forward so allison goes into the freezer and walks toward the back and then turns and comes back toward the front which means she passes Susie's dead body twice we can all clearly see it wrapped in plastic on the top shelf but she's just like now where would those silly sodas be (laughs) if i was a soda looking 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 well allison can't seem to locate the sodas so she settles for the next best thing this bitch grabs an open half gallon of milk <laughs> i don't know why this was so absurd to me it's just fitting for this movie it's just, why why <laughs> who <laughs> goes in this this is not your home nobody wants your germs <laughs> are you just gonna put that back when you're done allowing other people to drink out of the container you just put your nasty ass lips on so young and naive no ma'am pre-panoramic get out of here with your milk drinking (laughs) well as she's drinking the damn milk she somehow manages to knock one of the supports down that was holding up the top shelf sending the shelf and all of its contents including Susie's dead body crashing down on top of allison The cook comes to the freezer door to investigate, sending Allison running off. She makes her way to a payphone and calls the sheriff, but is caught by Pop, who just jumps in again. (laughs) Says, you know, you could use the phone in the office. (laughs) Sends her running away again. This son of a bitch. Well, we next see the sheriff has arrived (laughs) and is in the kitchen with Allison, the cook, Pop, and Miss Tipton. Miss Tipton tells Allison that she has caused the camp a lot of trouble. But the sheriff assures Allison she did the right thing by calling and that he will handle it from here. So the sheriff and Miss Tipton then go to Miss Tipton's office to talk. Miss Tipton is all like, I swear I was going to tell you about it after this group left. It just, I didn't want any of the parents finding out about it. And money's tight right now. The owners are coming down on me. And damn it, I really need this job. 
all perfectly good reasons for throwing a teenage girl's corpse into a camp freezer and neglecting to inform her family of her passing. That makes sense. Checks out. (laughs) But don't worry about a thing, Miss Tipton, because Mad Dog is here and he's going to take care of everything. Hate it. So, yeah, Miss Tiptits is having an affair with good old Sheriff Poucher, who loves reliving his glory days as a football star known as Mad Dog by engaging in sexual role-playing. And, of course, Miss Tipton is in full-on cheerleader outfit, cheering him on to sexual victory. But look out, because that old scamp Timmy just so happens to be sneaking around outside and captures the whole lured encounter on video of course of course also one of my favorite things about this movie there's only a couple (laughs) uh is that in this scene uh where they're getting ready for sex there's a copy of leaf garrett's 1978 album feel the need leaning against the top of the record player oh really i think that's amazing that is i didn't even notice Well, next, back in the boys' cabin, Brent is stuffing his underwear with a washcloth. Timmy tells him he's going to hell for lying like that, but Brent claims it's not to make it look bigger, it's to protect it. Sure it is. From what? (laughs) How many things come flying out his painting all day? (laughs) For all those near misses I have. Dodging things left and right. Doing some dick dodging. (laughs) I never knew the world was so precarious for peens. (laughs) Well, next why everyone is practicing their cheer clapping. Allison is again just roaming around by herself. This time she winds up in Pop the Handyman's workshop, garage, place. I don't know what this place is. (laughs) Uh, It's where he keeps all of his murdery looking tools. But while she's in there, Pop comes into the garage and Allison has to hide He comes over and randomly fondles a couple of the tools, just in case you forgot. The writers really want you to think Pop could be the killer, even though we haven't really established there is a killer yet. Keep that in mind. Pops then pulls a beer from the fridge and goes back inside. Allison, realizing she just had a close call, nopes the fuck out of there and leaves. We get a quick scene of Brent and Pam working on a lift move. He has her hoisted above his head and says... Don't worry, I'm not looking, meaning up her skirt, to which Pam answers, well, now I'm worried. Why aren't you looking? So, of course, Brent looks. That's it. That's the whole scene. I, for one, was thankful that was in there, because I was, like, thinking to myself, "Uh uh-oh, this movie isn't good? And then that scene happened, and I was like, oh, it's better. Uh, Absolutely. Everything's been made better. that it added anything, but, you know what, I was like, I... This needed this. Well, we needed to confirm that Brent is indeed a douchebag. Because <laughs> before this, I was like, is he? I was yeah, on the fence. Because, you know, she was a stranger. So, yeah, he was flirting. But now he's flirting with someone who's actually friends with Allison. Yeah. So, yeah, confirmed. Yeah. Douchebag. Cool. <laughs> well, later, back in the girls' cabin, everyone is getting ready for the evening. And Pam takes turns insulting everyone. She tells Bonnie she looks like a theater floor on a Saturday night and asks Teresa if she's covering up a five o'clock shadow. That's really nice. That's it. Just a little scene to let you know Pam is the worst. (laughs) The worst. (laughs) We then cut to Allison and Corey in another Lifetime movie moment. 
while Corey is dressed in her freaking alligator costume, mind you. <laughs> you were really supposed to try and take this seriously. The girls are talking about how, frustrated by both their negative experiences they've had at the camp thus far, they'd just like to leave, but they can't go because they have a competition to win. Corey asks Allison if she's really sure that's what she wants. Allison says she's not sure if she's doing it for her or for the people who keep telling her what she wants. Furthermore, they're going to be out in the real world soon, and who do you win for out there? Again, it's another message I can get behind. Make sure the dreams you pursue are your own and not someone else's ideals of who you should be and always be true to who you are inside. Great message. Horrible presentation. (laughs) (laughs) When you just throw these quick scenes in like this, in, in the middle of your dark comedy horror film without warning, by the time the audience realizes you've switched tone and we should be taking this seriously, the scene is over and we're back to more goofiness. Yeah. It's disorienting as a viewer and makes for an unreliable narrative. Yeah, yeah. And it was definitely those moments that had me legitimately questioning if... This was supposed to be, because pretty much up until this point, well, I mean, the whole movie, we don't get a lot of blood, but especially up to this point, we we haven't seen a lot of blood. So I almost was like, is this actually a horror movie? Because, I mean, sometimes there is a pretty definitive line between a thriller and a horror. Now, sometimes there's right. crossover, but mm-hmm. you do have, especially when it comes to like lifetime thrillers, which I enjoy myself, there is... You can tell when it's a TV movie that's meant to teach you a lesson, you know, or whatever, versus something that's there to gross you out and scare you. And yeah, this one, it it didn't know where it was standing. It didn't know which side of the line it was on. (laughs) Yeah, it it had a serious identity crisis the entire time. Well, the conversation between the girls wraps up with Corey telling Allison there's more than one way to be a winner. Allison responds by saying she thinks that has to do with the friends you meet along the way. Aw, that's nice. That's so nice. She then tells Corey that another way of winning is for her to bag that mascot title. I mean, yes, that's the literal definition of winning, but whatever. (laughs) You know another way I could win? By taking home the title (laughs) and the gold medal and the certificate that says winner. Yes. You know how else you could win? You could win. (laughs) Well, next we see all the cheers have gathered in some room. I don't know what this place is. And Miss Tipton is welcoming everyone over the microphone. We see Timmy sneak in behind Pop, who is seated next to the AV equipment in the back of the room. But Timmy is able to make a switch between the tape Pop has queued up and one that Timmy has put together himself. Oh, no, a Timmy film. That can't be good news. I mean, I'd see it. It's got to be better than this. I mean... Very valid point. (laughs) So after Miss Tipton explains she's going to show some clips that have always helped her, quote unquote, feel the spirit. (laughs) So when Pop plays the tape, you guessed it, it's actually the recording Timmy made of Miss Tipton and Sheriff Poucher. All the kids start clapping and laughing and even chanting, feel the spirit, feel the spirit, feel the spirit. Feel the spirit. Feel the spirit. Okay, I thought we the were. The spirit is in me. We need to go to cheerleading camp. We suck at this. Well, I Ms. told you I was never a cheerleader. <laughs> I've been up front this whole time. Oh, never a cheerleader, always a mascot. <laughs> not even that. What do you do when you're not even that? <laughs> is there a camp for me? Uh, I'm... 
average person Stay camp. at home camp. Yay, best camp. Actually, yeah, I was about to say, that's the camp I would like to be yes. in. Well, Miss Tipton demands Pop turn off the tape, but he just tells her, not now, wait till halftime. And he too joins in the <laughs> feel the spirit, feel the spirit. You do his accent alarmingly well. Thank you. It's many years of smoking. <laughs> We then see our core group head outside laughing and then say goodnight to each other, leaving Allison and Brent alone. Allison confronts him and says, Ever since we got here, you've been flirting with other girls and not acting like my boyfriend. Even Pam's starting to get the wrong idea. So Brent kisses her and she kisses him back. But when he suggests they go somewhere a little more private, Allison turns him down. Well, this just pisses Brent off because she hasn't been down to do the deed since they got there. Also, I love that that's his idea of fixing it. She's like trying to be serious and like, look, you've been kind of ignoring me this whole time. I'm going through a lot. Can we can we talk about things? And he's like, here's a little smooch smooch. How about some sex? Yeah, let's fuck. That'll <laughs> fix everything. <laughs> Your feelings? I don't care about those, but let's go have some sex. <laughs> don't worry. I've protected my penis the entire time I've been here, so everything should be fine. My peen hasn't been hit once, so it is good to go. Not a single bruise. I would then punch him in the peen and be like, here's a bruise. <laughs> I got your bruise right here. Well, she explains that she hasn't been feeling well lately and that she hopes he would understand, but he just flat out tells her, no. I refuse to try and see things from your side and treat you like a human being. And they can talk about it more when she's quote-unquote feeling better. He says it in that exact condescending tone. We love healthy relationship communication. We can talk about it more when you're feeling better. I'd be like, fuck, fuck off. <laughs> Two more bruises right on your peen. <laughs> Well, back at the boys' cabin, Timmy tells Brent he's worried about Allison because she's seemed troubled since the start of the trip. Brent says that it started before that. So Timmy says that maybe it's because she isn't getting enough attention. And he says it in that sly, accusatory way, like, dude, you haven't been the most attentive boyfriend, so maybe some of this is partially your fault. But Brent just says, yeah, well, so could I. All right. Just keep making it the Brent show. Again, fuck off. <laughs> Third bruise. <laughs> we then cut to Allison and Corey in their cabin, and this time we're ready. It's a lifetime moment. We're ready. Every time these two girls are alone, we have a lifetime moment. So here's the next one, right? We didn't know it, but their cabin's actually called Lifetime Cabin. Yeah, here we go. We are set. We're ready for the emotional shit. Wrong. It's just a weird-ass dream sequence. Also, I love how the scene starts with Allison in bed bawling her eyes out over this fight she just had with Brent. And then you see Corey with this almost painful look on her face like, oh, my God, other people's emotions make me so uncomfortable. Also <laughs> so she, me. She just tells her good night and turns <laughs> off the light. <laughs> it is so hilarious and relatable. Yeah, I was it is say. <laughs> so relatable it is my second favorite moment in yeah. this film it's like i would definitely feel bad but at the same time i don't know it would be so tough because you're like at you know this isn't somebody that you're like hanging out with all the time yeah it's it's, it's obvious almost like kind of a acquaintance i guess i should yeah, say they're just now kind you can tell they haven't really been that close before yeah. and they're just now kind of so <laughs> to have all this thrust on Corey, she's just like um, okay, good night. <laughs> Sleep well. Uh, don't don't have those dreams. 
I'm just a mascot. <laughs> I'm going to go sleep outside. <laughs> so on to that weird-ass dream sequence. The screen turns red, and we transition into Allison's dream. In the dream, she approaches a cabin where we can hear people chanting. She peeks through the window and sees Brent and Pam having sex. She enters the cabin, and we can now see a bunch of people standing around the bed chanting, Do it again! Do it again! Harder! Harder! Do it again! Do it again! Harder! Harder! Think the midsummer fertility scene, only cheesier. Yes. Good comparison. Thank you. Well, Allison joins in with the chanting, and soon some of the team mascots have come in, and everyone's waving pom-poms and chanting, do it again, do it again, harder, harder. Soon Allison becomes overwhelmed with everything going on and starts to freak out. And I guess that's it. That's the end of the dream, because we cut to the next morning. (laughs) It's just like, oh, okay, that's done. Uh, and our team is actually practicing for this big competition. Here's some cheering. Cheer practice at a cheer camp? Crazy. <laughs> uh, but we also see that Brent and Pam are hardcore flirting, which leads to Pam messing up the routine, knocking Allison down, causing her to cut her hand. This gives Allison a flashback to her dream the night before of Brent and Pam together. The two girls argue until Corey steps in and breaks it up. Pam tells Corey to shut up, mascot. <laughs> You're so rude. Allison tells Pam to lay off Corey, and Pam says, Figures you'd say that. What? You mean be a good person and defend your friend? Figures you'd be nice. That's so you to be a kind person. You were a good person this whole time. (laughs) Well, finally, Brent jumps in and is all, That's enough, Allison. What? Shut up, Brent. Fuck off, Brent. Why are you getting on her? A new day, a new bruise. That's what you're asking for. Well, the group decides they need a break, so they head down to Yale Swimming Hole to cool off. As they're swimming, Brent is up on the rocks, giving Pam a back massage in front of Allison and everyone. I mean, no shame. Allison goes. I, can't. <laughs> I refuse. He is the worst. Allison, can he end up in a bear costume? <laughs> oh, good question. I think, yeah. Oh, we should make that happen. Well, Allison goes over and splashes water on Brent, and he just goes, cut it out, and continues giving Pam a fucking back rub. Allison says she's going somewhere else, to which Brent just says, bye. He then asks Pam to go somewhere else so they can get some sun. They relocate and immediately begin kissing, but Pam stops and says that she doesn't want this to be just a one-time thing and wants to know if Brent really cares for her. And, oh my God, we're having another lifetime moment. All girls have feelings? (laughs) He accuses her of leading him on, and she's all like, so what if I did? I deserve more. She then thinks she hears something in the woods, and Brent says, I'm sick of this bullshit, I'm out, and leaves her alone in the woods. Classy guy. Gentleman of the year. (laughs) I'm fitting your bear costume now. (laughs) (laughs) Pam gathers her things and goes off after him, but Brent is long gone. Soon we see someone is following Pam with a pair of gardening shears, and before long, she is impaled right through the back of the head, far enough that the tips of the blades are left protruding from her mouth. And yes, thank God, 
41 minutes into the film and we finally get our first murder. I mean, yes, Susie died. But as far as the audience is concerned, her death was a suicide. Yeah, it wasn't on screen or anything like that. So this was our first murder. Yes. Yeah. Also worth mentioning that the effects have not improved <laughs> with the more complex wounds. She's just got a couple of fake blades sticking out of her mouth with a bunch of fake blood on it. Yeah. Pretty basic. Well, our screen turns red, signaling we are entering one of Allison's dreams. We see her walking around in the woods, and she encounters Pam and Brent making out. Allison approaches the couple, and Brent leaves, and Allison starts slashing at Pam with her pom-poms, cutting Pam's arms and face. Allison then wakes up screaming to Corey's alligator mask looking down at her. Terrifying. (laughs) Seriously, why are you just wearing that in the middle of the night? Allison screams again, and Corey wakes her up, taking off the mask. Corey tells her it's almost competition time and asks if she's going to be ready. Allison reaches into her bag and gets her pills, but Corey stops her and says, No, no more pills. No, no. Bitch, you are not her doctor. (laughs) Also, you don't know what those things are for. They could be the only thing keeping her from eating your face off. (laughs) You don't just randomly tell people, stop taking medication. (laughs) Well, Allison tries to tell her it's none of her business. It's none of my business. It's none of my business. (laughs) But Corey says, maybe not, but you've got problems and you can talk about them to a friend. Allison said she doesn't have any friends, to which Corey says, I'm your friend. So Allison gives up the pills and thanks Corey for her help. Thanks for taking away my sanity pills, friend. (laughs) See how they snuck another lifetime moment in? (laughs) Bastards got me again. Well, we then switch over to Bonnie and Teresa, who are concerned that Pam hasn't returned. Not that they're worried something happened to her, it's just that it's competition night and she needs to think more about the team than getting honey on her muffin. (laughs) Yep, that's an actual line in this movie. Please feel free to use it. (laughs) Getting honey on your muffin. Oh no, I got some honey on my muffin. We next got to the mascot competition and finally get to see some of Lucinda Dickey's moves in action. I mean, kind of. We do get to see her dance a bit, but she's in that fucking mascot costume and her portion only lasts about 10 seconds. This is a bona fide professional dancer. She had a full ride scholarship to the Roland Dupree Dance Academy in LA. She appeared on television as a solid gold dancer and trust me, if you were a child in the 80s, you know that's a pretty big fucking deal. So, (laughs) you have access to this amazing talent and this is how you display it in in your film, hidden under an alligator costume in a 10 second spot? They're like, look, we need to let the other people shine, okay? Uh, It's ridiculous. She even gets in there and starts breakdancing, and we hardly get any of it. It's so frustrating. Wasted opportunity. (laughs) Anyway, the chicken mascot is up next, and this triggers another nightmare flashback for Allison of when all the mascots were in the room with Brent and Pam, who were having the sexy time. Meanwhile, Bonnie and Teresa are getting more worried about the fact that Pam has yet to show back up and ask Brent if he did anything, which he denies. We then have the voting for our mascot winner, which is done by applause. The only official way to vote. It's clear that Corey gets the most applause and thinks she's a shoe in But when Miss Tipton makes the call, 
she gives it to the chicken. Rude. Presumably because of that incident in the cafeteria between Miss Tipton and Corey. Miss Tipton even gives Corey a suck it look. Corey rejoins the rest of the team and claims that Miss Tipton had the contest rigged. Teresa then says, who cares, Corey? It's only mascots. We've got more important things to worry about, like where's Pam? (laughs) Only mascots, the (laughs) self-importance. Like, obviously you work and train very hard and are very talented, but clearly that doesn't matter. (laughs) Forget it. There's bigger things at hand. (laughs) Allison, now starting to worry that Pam hasn't shown up, asks Corey if she knows where she was all afternoon, meaning Allison. Allison is asking Corey to confirm where Allison was. <laughs> where have I been this whole time? Exactly. Corey tells her she was napping and she had another one of her nightmares. So it looks like Allison herself is starting to worry that she might be responsible for hurting people. Well, next, Miss Tipton officially starts off the cheerleading competition and Pop tells the non-speaking cook... That judge in the orange skirt, make your pee-pee harder than a 10-pound bag of nickel jawbreakers. Know what I mean? A common saying. We all know what that means. <laughs> Again, another great line. This, <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> we see the competition begin and get another 10 seconds of actual cheering. We then see Allison and Brent, and she asks Brent if he did anything to Pam. Brent says, why do you always think the worst? Because you've only ever given her reasons to think the worst, (laughs) Dick. But he denies having anything to do with the reason why she's missing. Miss Tipton then tells him they're up next. Brent tells the group there's no way they can do their routine without Pam. But Bonnie said she read this book about a train this one time, and if they really think they can, which is absurd and silly, but yet it somehow gets them all pumped up and they decide to go on without Pam. So they start their little crappy routine, which amounts to them just rocking back and forth to some music until klutzy, goofy Timmy somehow trips off the stage over Pop, screwing up everyone's concentration and ruining the routine. But instead of being upset and heartbroken that they just lost their chance to go to state... The whole point of coming to this competition, they just think it's hilarious and are all like, oh, well, we're so crazy. Better luck next time. (laughs) What a bunch of goofs. There's always next year. Well, they figure they'll be able to save some face if one of them is able to win the queen contest. But Teresa is still worried about Pam and Corey tells her not to worry. Maybe she'll show up just in time, to which Teresa basically says, shut up, mascot, and storms off. Rude. We do not speak to Special K that way. (laughs) Next, as the contest for Queen commences... Holy shit, I just saw the only person of color in this movie. About time. I mean, she was there. Sorry, back to it. Teresa sneaks off to try and track down Pam. Meanwhile, Bonnie ends up getting crowned Queen. See, that book about the train really paid off. She thought she could, and she did. Now, with the competition portion over, the campers are now free to party and dance the night away, complete with 80s knockoff punk band. Everyone congratulates Bonnie, and Brent chastises Allison for not wanting to win more. Ugh, try asking her what she wants, not projecting what you want on her. Maybe try asking a question. (laughs) Just a simple question. Soon, Corey interrupts and asks if they've seen Teresa. Great, another one's gone missing. 
Have we never heard of the buddy system? <laughs> we need to keep you guys like <laughs> chained together or something. <laughs> Everyone handcuffed to your buddy. <laughs> We next see Miss Tipton tell Pop to keep an eye on our group. He tells her not to worry about it because he always takes care of it. Not sure what that means, but I'm <laughs> I sure. always have my eye on them. <laughs> I put my eye in their pocket. I put it in their drinks. It's fine. I never look anywhere else but right at them all <laughs> the time. I've been looking at them the whole time. Do you see me spray myself with that garden hose? <laughs> I couldn't even stop it. I didn't know how. <laughs> We next see Brent, Corey, Allison, and Teresa all off individually searching for Pam. We also see Pop in his workshop flicking a flashlight on and off, talking about how he's going to keep an eye on him. You can bet your bloomers on it. <laughs> cool. We then see Teresa wandering aimlessly through the woods, still looking for Pam. She falls victim to the horror trope of being the girl who has to trip and fall and roll down a hill. Of course, where she lands is right where Pam's body is propped against a tree. And since it's dark, Teresa supposedly can't tell at first that her friend is dead and is just talking away. Oh, Pam, thank goodness you're all right. You missed the contest, but that's fine. I was so afraid. We didn't know what happened to you. Pam, come on, wake up. (laughs) I'm serious. Come on, wake up. Wakey, wakey. I mean, Pam. What's the blood? This bitch carries on for a full three-hour conversation (laughs) before she clues into the fact that Pam has not said word one. Oh, yes. And she has fucking garden shear blades sticking out of her mouth. So, of course, Teresa finally freaks out. And for the second reveal of Pam's wounds, I, I think they put some bugs on her mouth to be gross, I guess. I'm not sure. I can't tell. Something is moving around on her mouth, and I'm I'm assuming it's bugs. I don't know. It's still just really basic crappy effects. <laughs> Pam then takes off running and makes it to a road, but is quickly found by someone driving the van the team rode up in. The van chases Teresa down and crashes into her, pinning her to a tree. At least that's what we assume. It is off camera. Mm-hmm. Back at the camp party, which, by the way, aren't these supposed to be high school kids? There appears to be an awful lot of openly available alcohol yeah. for our students here. I mean, it's just, it's not like the cute, funny thing where you see a student sneak in and like pour it into the punch bowl. I mean, it's just, it's all over the place. There's just beer, alcohol. What? <laughs> I anyway. thought the same thing because even we have like drunk like legitimately drunk people walking around openly like mm-hmm. yeah belligerently drunk and yeah. it was, i thought the exact same thing i was like well aren't these supposed to be like the caretakers like the adults here mm-hmm. everybody's drunk <laughs> uh well eventually all of our searchers and coincidentally suspects brent allison and Corey, all come back together each claiming they were unable to locate neither pam nor Teresa. even pop shows back up and is all Well, now, what do we have here? Cockroach convention on parade? I wish you kids go back to the party. You're cutting into my drinking time. (laughs) I've been drinking this whole time. At least he's honest. I mean, yeah. Well, back inside, we see Timmy finally make a love connection and head off with a girl credited as simply Timmy's girlfriend. So it must be serious. Uh, The rest of the group. (laughs) It's just like Timmy's longtime (laughs) wife, mother of three. They met at this camp. Who knew? The rest of the group, now reunited uh, with Bonnie, confronts Miss Tipton, asking for her help, since two of their girls are now missing. 
But Miss Tipton is too drunk and, quite frankly, doesn't care. So Allison decides she's going to call the sheriff. But Brent stops her, saying, if the sheriff comes, I'll be the prime suspect. I mean, sucks to suck, buddy. (laughs) That sounds like a you problem, not a mean problem. Shouldn't be an asshole. Well, Allison says she just doesn't know what's going on anymore. It could be Pop or Miss Tipton or even her. She doesn't know what to think anymore and makes the call. Next, we cut to Miss Tipton, who has now wandered drunk out of the party, determined to find those missing kids. But when it gets too difficult to walk in her drunken state, she decides to head back to the bar. But before she can, she's attacked. I'd love to tell you how she's attacked, but we just see her reaction as presumably she is stabbed, shot, poke, slash, or some combination of those in her back as she just grunts and falls to the ground. I love this scene only because uh, Miss Tipton's drunk ramblings as she's like walking outside are hilarious because they're literally just like mumbles. She's like, <laughs> go back to the bar that's the only thing that you can understand is when she says she's going back to the bar (laughs) even when she's attacked it's just gotta go back to the bar (laughs) bar. take me to the bar Well, next we cut to Sheriff Poucher napping in his car as he gets a call over the radio telling him about the missing kids at the camp, which he says they're probably just off humping in the woods, but he'll go check it out anyway. We love some diligent police work. (laughs) We really do. It is on point. Well, back at the party, Timmy and his very serious girlfriend that he just met five minutes ago come rushing back in and Timmy has blood on his hands. Turns out while he was trying to get busy with his little lady, they came across Teresa's dead body. We then switch back to Allison, who has been waiting in Pop's workshop for the sheriff when someone comes to the door. Turns out it's Miss Tipton who comes stumbling in with a hatchet buried in her back. She collapses at Allison's feet as she grabs the hatchet from her back as she falls and then screams when she sees it in her hands. It's like, well, why the fuck did you pick it up out of her back? (laughs) (laughs) But then Corey comes in and sees Allison with the knife. Allison's all, you don't think I did this, did you? And Corey's like, no, no, of course not. Obviously not. Why would I think that? Purely coincidental, I'm sure. This is fine. (laughs) I'm just going to (laughs) leave. I'm sure you just keep that knife in your car to cut vegetables. (laughs) Was it a cucumber break? Uh, Yeah, I have those too. I got to go. Totally get those. Totally. Well, back at the party, Brent interrupts the band who aren't even lip syncing to the same song that's playing. It's just, it's like no one tried. No one tried on this movie. The actors did fine. Everything else is goofy. Uh, Well, he tells everyone that one of their girls has been murdered and that no one should panic and they should all just get out of there alive. This, of course, sends everyone into a full-on panic, running out of the building, into their cars, 
and off the camp property. Hell, even the silent cook threw a bunch of dishes into his car and hightailed it the fuck out of there. Why did he take this? <laughs> I don't know. I would have been like getting all the food supplies. Yeah. Because I mean, it makes make me think count. of like the, they hired him, but only on one condition. <laughs> he provides his own dishes. BYOD. <laughs> He's like, come on, I really, really want to cook for this camp. You don't understand. There's so many other jobs I know I could have, but this is it. This is the one I want. I have my own pots. (laughs) They're like, all right. Hired. (laughs) That doesn't make sense, but neither does this movie. So you are hired. (laughs) Well, at the very least, you know, you can mark him off your suspect list. (laughs) Well, Brent, Timmy, and Bonnie make their way to the team van, but now Allison and Corey are missing, so Brent goes off to look for them. We see the two are still together as Corey is trying to wash Miss Tipton's blood out of Allison's uniform. Eventually, Brent finds them, and they all make their way back to the van. Brent gets on to Timmy for not warming up the van, to which Timmy responds, By how? Sitting on it? You had the keys. <laughs> Again, another good line. I'm not going to lie. There were some good lines in here. Brent tries to start the van, but of course it won't turn over. So our lone survivors now have to hike the 40 miles out of there. Easy. Got it. I do it all the time. <laughs> Meanwhile, we see Pop discover Pam's body, which sends him back to his workshop to grab a shotgun. Back with our teens as they he said, off. you're not dead enough. I'm going to go get, <laughs> go give my shotgun. I'm getting ready for that sequel so I can make you really dead. <laughs> this is just the warm up. Shit's coming. Sneak preview. We didn't know we were getting. <laughs> well, back with our teens as they set off on their 40 mile hike. Pop shows up with the shotgun, yells at them. All right, your girl's dead. Go on now. <laughs> Shoots the gun in the air, chasing them back to camp. What is... Your girl's dead. Go on now. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to see here. Well, Timmy splits off from the group, not to elude capture, but to make sure he has the best angle as he whips out that damn video camera again and stops to capture the whole thing on film. Plus, can we talk about how he body throws himself (laughs) over this tree stump? I mean... How he didn't injure himself. (laughs) We next see Bonnie running through the woods the way women in 80s slashers always run through the woods. Like they're allergic to nature and if it touches them, they will die. It's all, (laughs) oh, oh. That's actually how I run in (laughs) nature here in 2021. It's adorable, actually. (laughs) Uh, She loses her crown on some branches in the process. We then cut back to Timmy, who now decides, as all of their lives are in danger... Now would be a good time to masturbate on camera. Well, at this point, you deserve to die. If you really think this is the most appropriate time for you to tug your tadpole, then your stupidity overrides any sympathy you may have garnered from your murder. (laughs) We next see Allison, Brent, Bonnie, and Corey all make their way back to the van. Corey says someone tried to grab her on the way back, and Brent asks where Timmy is, and Corey says he stopped to take pictures, so now Brent has to go back to find him. Once he leaves, Corey tells Bonnie and Allison that she doesn't think Brent is handling things very well, and she's just never seen him act this weird. But Bonnie still thinks that Pops is to blame. Just then, Brent returns without Timmy, but he did find Timmy's video recorder, 
Brent suggests they watch the tape in case there could be a clue as to what happened to him. So back in the boys' cabin, they play the tape only to discover Timmy was disemboweled with an axe. At least I think that's what happened. We see him get an axe to the abdomen and then a dark, wet glob of something plops onto the ground. As far as I could tell, it was a dead raccoon. Uh, (laughs) Regardless of the sad effect, it's enough to know uh, that Timmy's dick fiddling got him killed. So let that be a lesson to you, kids. Another Lifetime movie lesson. (laughs) There's packing them in here. The more you know. So now our group is sure that Pop is the killer. So Brent sets a trap up with an actual animal trap in Pop's workshop. Brent hangs the animal trap from the ceiling so when Pop opens the door, it swings down and will clamp on his face. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as the trap is set, they hear Pop approaching the door. The door opens, the trap is sprung, clamping onto Pop's face, sending him screaming and writhing in pain as he falls to the ground and dies. The group collectively lets out a sigh of relief, believing their ordeal to be over, only to discover the body isn't pop after all it's the fucking sheriff remember allison called him earlier and now brent just killed the only chance they had at survival way to go brent well nobody likes you this is unfortunate (laughs) let's see if that washcloth saves you now brent (laughs) let's see how effective that's gonna be Uh, Also, the effect here is okay, I suppose. You still can't see very much the trap itself, plus a lot of fake blood masks a lot of what could be going on here. Plus, they had him die with his hands still gripping the trap, which also blocks a lot and seems weird that he wouldn't let up on his grip when he died. But, you know, it's a choice. (laughs) But it's... I guess the goriest, it's still subpar. Yeah. It's just kind of like, uh, okay. It it really just kind of looks like someone's holding the trap to their face and someone just poured blood on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. Well, now the group is all, Brent, what did you do? So shamed, he runs off with another axe. Why are there so many murdery type weapons around this camp? <laughs> We then see him immediately come across Pop and take a swing at him with that axe. Of course, Brent misses and Pop pulls the shotgun on him and tells him he's dead meat. But when the gun goes off, it's not from Pop's shotgun. It's Corey. Corey has taken the sheriff's gun and has shot Pop, saving Brent. I mean, he was kind of a jerk. He probably didn't need saving But Brent runs over to Corey and is all, oh my God, you saved my life. But just then, Pop tries to get back up and shoot them very slowly. But Corey very easily gets another shot off in the least suspenseful scene in this whole movie. It's like, I feel like he has time to like get up, adjust his pants, Mm -hmm. like he puts some raiders on, he paints his nails real quick, reads a quick book on how to shoot. And then, uh oh, Corey shoots him. Yeah. Yeah, so, unfortunately, he didn't get to put the book to use. It was a good one, though. It had a twist ending. It did. Turns out you don't use a gun at all. <laughs> Throw a knife. Never see it coming. <laughs> well, back with the sheriff's dead body, Allison is getting triggered, envisioning the other dead bodies and scenes from her nightmare. And just before she's about to freak out, Brent comes in, embraces her, and tells her it's all over and that everything is going to be all right. 
as Allison breaks down in his arms. Next, we see the remaining four, Allison, Brent, Bonnie, and Corey, in front of a fire in one of the cabins as Brent is serving them all wine. Allison just wants to leave. Brent asks Bonnie to go try calling again and telling them what happened. I'm assuming he means the police. Bonnie leaves and says she'll be real quick, and Brent tells Corey to go with her and make sure she's not too quick. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. (laughs) As Corey leaves, Brent smacks her on the ass, which does not sit well with Corey or me or anyone else, I think, watching. He's like, what the (laughs) fuck? Literally right in front of his girlfriend. Yeah. Well, Brent, of course, wants to celebrate their survival with a little sexy time. But Allison, like most normal human beings who have just been through something traumatic, isn't in the goddamn mood. She's like, weirdly enough, I've seen some shit today. Um, And none of that gets me going. So I'm going to have to say no. My engine is not purring right now. You understand what I'm saying? So he says, do you have a better way to celebrate? And grabs her forcibly by the back of her hair. And Allison tells him he's hurting her. This is when Corey comes back in and sees this happening. She purposely interrupts them and tells them that she can't find Bonnie. Uh Uh-oh. So now Brent takes off to find Bonnie. So Corey goes to Allison and says that she suspects Brent is the killer and they have to stop him before he gets to Bonnie. Wait, if you thought Brent was the killer, then why did you save him from Pop? And if you're worried he might kill Bonnie, why the fuck would you send him after Bonnie? (laughs) Go catch her, but not too quick. Another (laughs) wink at him. (laughs) Hey, I can't find Bonnie. Will you go murder her? Because I think you're the killer. Well, she gives Allison the gun and says, we've got to go after him together. It's the only way we'll survive. So Corey leaves Allison out of the cabin and goes ahead a little to peek around the corner. We see Brent standing over Bonnie's lifeless body in a phone booth. But Brent isn't maniacally murdering her. He appears to be crying. We then cut back to Corey, who turns to Allison and said, Okay, he's right around the corner, and we don't know what he's capable of, so you got to be ready for anything. So we'll go on three. So Corey starts to count. One, two, and then pushes Allison around the corner and screams, There he is! He's the killer! Allison, seeing Brent standing over Bonnie, shoots Brent dead. In our final scene, we see emergency responders have arrived. One of the ambulance attendants here is actually our director, John Quinn, in his Hitchcock moment. The detective sends the paramedics over to get Allison and asks Corey what would make someone go crazy like this. Corey says, wanting to be number one, wanting and not getting. What's going to happen to Allison? The cop tells her, well, with your testimony... She'll be charged with the murders. Corey says she seems so perfect, just wasn't strong enough. She really didn't know what she wanted. I hope she gets all the help she needs. We then see Allison being placed in the back of the ambulance as the detective asks her why she killed all those people. Allison says she just killed Brent and Brent was the killer and that she only had dreams. The cop says, yeah, 
some dreams. <laughs> what? Allison. <laughs> Stupid. Allison quickly realizes she's been framed as we simultaneously see Corey on the camp lawn in full cheerleader outfit and pom-poms, spelling out her own name in victory. C O R. Why did we watch this movie? We then see Allison <laughs> being given an injection of a sedative as she's taken off to the mental ward, screaming Corey's name as the screen fades to black and we roll credits. There you go. There you go. Uh, I It was Corey the whole time. Nobody saw that coming. What a twist. We didn't figure that out from the moment they were roommates. <laughs> <laughs> they were roommates. Roomies. <laughs> well... I mean, what can we say? <laughs> I can I can say uh, I love the movie poster. Oh, that I, that is really the reason why that's what put it over the edge for us. We was like, yeah, that poster's so good. Let's yeah. go for it. Yeah, it reminds me of like a Goosebumps cover or something. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. That, the tagline for this movie is give me a K, give me an I, give me an L, give me an L. It, it, that's brilliant. Yeah. It's great. It, it hooked us. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it didn't have much after the, the poster. <laughs> That's where the goodness ended. It peaked at the poster. Yeah. Poster peak. <laughs> well, again, I, I think this, ju- this movie just wanted so much to be more than it was that it just became a muddled mess. If it had just fully embraced its cheesy, campy horror side, this could have been a really fun flick. That's it. That's I- it. What else can we say? We camped with cheerleaders. Well, I guess the only thing left to say is uh, we got some prompts to do. We got some prompts to do. <laughs> Were you able to fill out your prompts for this one? I was. All right. Well, I'm excited to see what you came up with. <laughs> I mean, you know, they were pretty subpar, but I'm excited. Okay. Well, what did you have for your popcorn spiller? Um. So my popcorn spiller, oddly enough, was probably um, the last scene um with Allison shooting Brent only because I mean yes I totally think that Brent was an asshole this whole movie and like I do find it quite apropos that Allison was the one that got to shoot him but I do it was shocking to me just because I felt like a that he was going to go way sooner uh just because he was he seemed the way they kept playing up his character he kind of seemed pretty disposable um, they just kind of kept making him seem like a douchebag, and which he was. I I think they were really banking on some people would keep him as a suspect if they kept him around. Yeah, yeah. And by the end, I kind of also started thinking about the fact that it was Leif Garrett, and I'm sure that was kind of a reason that they wanted to keep him there the whole film. Sure, big name. Um, but yeah, I I guess it was just kind of a shock that a he had he had been there so long, and the fact that when he did die, that it was Allison that did the actual final shot I just wasn't expecting it was a very rushed scene we have Corey come in and, and basically say it's Brent all right he's right around the corner one two three go and she shoots and so it was kind of like a a shock in the aspect of like holy shit she really did just shoot him mm-hmm. yeah and now it's just them two yeah and all of this is coming to an end so it was it was kind of that moment of just kind of shock in that aspect but sure. what about for you uh I put you know name one of the times pops just Pops the fuck up on screen. <laughs> what you doing, girl? I mean, Jesus, wear a bell, dude. Every time. He's just, and it's so sling blade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like them fried taters. 
that that was it for me. He was just every time you turn around, shit, he's just right there. <laughs> <laughs> so who ended up being your scene stealer for this movie? I had to go with Timmy. Yeah. I don't know what it is about Travis McKenna, but he just seemed very likable. I, I know he's playing a character. And sure, I had some problems with Timmy. He's not perfect. He's an 80s character. There's a lot of issues there. But he was just, he was fun. It was lighthearted. You knew what you were getting with him. Yeah. There, there was no question about it. It was just going to be a funny moment. You yeah. didn't have to worry you're going to get trapped and suckered into this lifetime moment. If you were having a Timmy moment, it was just going to be fun. Yeah. What about for you? Uh, well, I ended up choosing, oddly enough, uh, Bonnie. And only because kind of the exact same reason like she was she played this character that was supposed to be like this dumb blonde that was just she had these she had like the line about reading the train book Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and so just different little one-liners like that where she just was meant to just be this dumb blonde character that was there to give you humor relief while the other characters were having intense conversations because that's when these lines would come up right right um and so i liked that aspect that she was that subtle comedic relief it wasn't over the top like timmy now i loved timmy as well and Mm -hmm. so that was actually who i originally had kind of written down as my in my notes as like a possible front runner but i i did enjoy the fact that bonnie was pretty uh subtle and and she was there pretty late in the game you know as far as um survivors and everything goes and everything so I just picked her because I enjoyed her character. I liked that she, and she did it really well. It didn't seem like she was too over yeah. the top or anything. She just was quirky and funny and I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think you saying that her not being over the top is key because yes, she is supposed to be that ditzy blonde, but it's not, you know, just like, oh my God, total gag me with a spoon. Yeah. You know, Valley girl, 80s, just vamp it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she was just kind of ditzy mm-hmm. and it made her endearing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. So what did you have for your gorgasm in this movie that wasn't very gory? Yeah, this one was a little bit tough. And honestly, the first watch through, uh, I, I thought to myself, I'm not going to be able to have anything <laughs> for this category just yeah. because... We, like I said, we've, we've watched these movies multiple times whenever we go to uh, do these movies for the podcast. So the first watch through is, is just a general, just to get the lay of the land, plot of the movie, character, you know, all that stuff. Um, and so I'm not being as critical, I guess I can say, my first watch through. And so by the end of it, I really didn't remember a whole lot as far as like the blood and stuff. And so yeah. I, I really was like, I don't think there's going to be anything I can have for this category, but... On my second watch through, I actually, as the scene's really dark and I actually think that maybe works in its favor, uh, but it's that stomach cut of, of Timmy's. Mm-hmm. It's, and I think it's more the sound effects for me. Yes. It's very uh, wet sounding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I, I just think it only heightens how icky that scene is. And so, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And I think because there isn't a whole lot of options in the movie that, you know. The one or two bloody ones. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I I almost went with uh with that one for my gorgasm, mm-hmm. and it and it was because of what exactly you said that that sound. Mm-hmm. It was just very gushy, yeah, <laughs> squelchy and everything. Yes, yes. <laughs> but the fact that it was so ridiculous the way that yeah. it was done, the fact like like 
I know that when an autopsy is done on a body, they take all your organs and they wrap it in a plastic bag. And then they stick that plastic bag in your cavity and sew you back up. Yeah. So it was almost like he already had his organs all put in that bag. And so when he got chopped in the tummy, just that bag came flopping Yeah. So it wasn't very realistic. Yes. Yes. It did seem like everything was like... Yes. It was just like one big plop. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) So... I ended up going with the sheriff's trap to the face. Not that you could really see anything, but I got the impression that you could see more. It just, it gave the inclination that it was more complicated and gory. Yeah, and especially because we're dealing a lot of times in this movie with stuff done either off screen or done right behind the character's head or the character's body or something that we can't see. So when we do get to see it, it's like, oh, okay. That's what we're here for. This is a horror movie. We're mm-hmm. doing things right. So yeah, th- these two that we just chose are really the only two in the movie that do that. So, uh, you know, yeah, there you go. Orgasmic. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> so who ended up being your memorable mortality? Uh, that's where I ended up going with Timmy. Yeah. It was stupid and implausible, which made it ridiculous and fun. Yeah. What about you? I actually ended up choosing um, Pam and it was only because I... Granted, it was cheesy. I did like the shears to the mouth. Yeah. I I enjoyed it. I wish it was actually, I mean, well, obviously, I wish a lot of things in this movie was done better. (laughs) (laughs) But I wish that one had been done better because that would have been a cool kill. Yeah, like absolutely. If, I mean, it was cool no matter what, but had had it really been heightened and, and done well, it had the possibility to be really cool. So the fact that it, and it was the one, literally the only one I could remember after our first watch through. And so... I feel like that's in the title. It was memorable, <laughs> so I picked <Right>. it. <laughs> but yeah, it, that's what it was for me. I just really enjoyed the, um, I guess, the method of killing, which was the garden shears. It's not just, you know, a knife or a gun or something like that. It's different, but right. I definitely wish we had gotten a little bit more effects with it and everything. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, that just brings us to the big question. I think I know what the answer is. Yeah. Vault or no vault? I, I got to say, this one's got to go to the dead zone. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely leaving it behind in the dead zone. I, you know, and again, we always have to say what we always say is, we're not here to tell you to not watch this movie. No, not at all. I mean, if this is something that looks interesting or you want to see the ridiculousness of it, that sometimes is half the fun. I still get enjoyment out yeah. of that. I had a hell of a good time going back and rewatching this, just knowing the shit I get to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's important with these movies, too, is the fact that even though it can be really bad, it can also just be a stupid fun watch. Yeah. Now, I mean, this is pretty borderline. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying in general, when it comes to the movies that we, you know, err on the side of like, "Eh, we're not big fans of it. I feel like that should never be an indicator of whether you guys should watch it or not, because our tastes are different and everything like that. And something that we find cheesy, you could like find really funny or something like that so yeah i feel like you should definitely at least at least check it out it's on youtube you don't gotta pay any monies or nothing yes totally free go check it out enjoy what you can out of it there's some interesting performances here yeah there's some good one-liners you got butts boobs shears to the mouth stomach cuts and a total of maybe 12 seconds of cheering in the entire movie so (laughs) What more could you ask for? It's got everything, really. (laughs) Got everything. Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode 30 is... In the 
can. In the can. I can't believe we've made it to 30. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. That's no monies, honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you want to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. If you want to hang out with us and fellow late night weirdos, check out the show notes for links to our socials and our Facebook group, The Dead Zone Drive-In Discussion Room. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to check out our letterbox, linked down in the show notes, where I track all the horror we watch inside and outside of the screening room. Lastly, next week, we'll be gathering around the campfire to discuss the 1981 slasher Madman. And if you want to check out that trailer, don't worry, we've got you. That link is also down in the show notes. But I should warn you, that trailer is actually pretty gory. The trailer itself is kind of rated R, so there's a forewarning there. There's going to be some blood and guts, so maybe don't check out the trailer at work on your work computer or something. I don't know what you do with your lives. <laughs> it, it is pretty intense, so just be forewarned. And, of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob for helping the Winnebagel out of that quicksand incident. Turns out those childhood fears of quicksand suddenly become relevant again in the dead zone, and the guys totally saved our butts with a quick tow from the Maggot Wagon, which is uh, what they call their tour bus. I asked them if I could name it Susan, but they didn't like that. I do like me the Maggot Wagon. <laughs> And remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. Dressed in a bright wet... Bright wet. Bright wet. I'm in my bright wet dress today, <laughs> so I'm pretty excited. So I'm pretty serious. Anytime you see me in bright wet, you know... I mean business, will we? The Wedge West won't show blood when I murder everybody, so pretty excited. Death called planning. <laughs> <laughs> it's called having a plan, sticking to it. <laughs>